a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with us on the program today. We're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to talk about uh, the same topic two days in a row. Normally, I don't do that. I'll talk about something. I'll move on to the uh, next big story. Uh, but yesterday we were talking about this bill that has just been dropped in California. Uh, Democrats saying, aha, we're doing what Gavin Newsom wants us to do. We're taking that page from the Texas anti-abortion bill. We're going to apply it to people's Second Amendment rights in California. You're going to be able to sue. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah. Well, as it turns out, there are a few differences between what's being proposed in California and the uh, anti-abortion law in Texas, besides the fact that we're dealing with gun control in California and abortion in the state of Texas. And joining us on the program to talk about those differences is Eric Jaffe. He's an attorney out of Washington, D.C., uh, who works with the uh, Firearms Policy Coalition. He was actually the author of this brief that the FPC filed objecting to the Texas anti-abortion law basically arguing that gun control activists like Gavin Newsom would take that anti-abortion law. That sort of, uh, the best way to describe it, I'm sure you know, but it basically allows for private bounties, right, by citizens. Aha, I see somebody that's, uh, you know, providing an abortion after 16 weeks. I can now sue them as a private actor. There's no rule or room for the state to get involved here. It's just me suing. Uh, And there are all kinds of provisions there that are problematic, really problematic uh, from a, uh, a a civil rights perspective, regardless of what you think about whether or not we actually have a constitutionally protected right to an abortion. There are concerns about due process protections here in that uh, Texas law. And according to Eric Jaffe, the bill that's been introduced in California, while it's bad, does not contain some of the poison pills that the Texas legislation does, which raises the possibility that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom is not going to be satisfied with this recent proposal by his fellow Democrats. Anyway, we break down the differences between the proposal in California and the uh, new law in the Lone Star State with Eric Jaffe. Take a look and a listen. What's different about this new legislation proposed in California as opposed to the law in Texas that the FPC uh, uh, filed that brief against? Sure. The two big differences are, one, that this law does not seek to avoid federal court review of any potential constitutional questions that might arise. So the way Texas sort of dodged federal court review is it basically forbade all of its state officials from enforcing the law, which means you couldn't sue your state officials for doing something unconstitutional. You had to wait for a private citizen to step in before you could even have a defense. Uh, California doesn't do that. All of the laws that California has now authorized private citizens to enforce are laws that the attorney general and other people, other state officials could equally enforce. For example, a ban on assault weapons. And in fact, it says that. It says this citizen suit provision only applies if you violated some other California law. And so all of those laws can be challenged in the ordinary course in federal court if need be. That's one difference. The second difference is that even in a citizen suit, when a citizen brings a suit in state court saying, oh, you know, gun company X, you did something bad, um, the procedures that surround that suit are sort of the ordinary procedures as far as I can tell. There's no one-sided attorney's fees. There's no one-sided 
if you if you lose, you lose, but if you win, somebody else can try again kind of situation. Um, there's all of these, these other procedures in Texas that made the law so abusive to due process rights, not just to the underlying abortion question, but to just the basics of due process of going to court and having a fair say. And as far as I can tell, California has not adopted many of those procedures, at least not yet. Uh, and so it's not the same, it's not as abusive as Texas is. And, and so what I would say is that uh, Newsom sort of promised to take Texas's lesson and, and use it for what he thinks is the public good. We would disagree, of course, um, right. but, but he hasn't quite fully adopted the Texas model. He's adopted about a 10th of it. I, I think I earlier called it like the kindergarten version of Texas. Uh, yeah. And, and th while that is criticism of his bluster, uh, I have to say, I'm glad he's not abusing the due process rights of Californians too. Well, knock on wood, let's uh, let, let's see, because uh, as far as I know, Newsom uh, himself has not said, yes, this is the this is the vehicle that I want. This is what I was asking for. These are uh, Democrat lawmakers who said they've been working on this for a while uh, based on that New York law that uh, Andrew Cuomo signed yeah. uh, before he resigned. So, it, I mean, I suppose the possibility exists that Gavin Newsom takes a look at this and says, no, this doesn't go far enough. Uh, I, I come back. Give me give me something with more teeth, something that looks more like Texas. But, you, you know, you make a good point about the ability to challenge uh, specifically the New York law, because we've actually seen that the, the National Shooting Sports Foundation and I believe 14 individual companies have filed suit in federal court against that New York law. And they're able to do so, unlike the difficulties in challenging that Texas law. Uh, and it sounds like exactly unlike, right. Right. And it sounds like so. So this would be challengeable. How easy, though, is it, Eric, to to target specifically that sort of citizen bounty aspect of this. I mean, as you say, uh, you know, California already has a quote unquote assaultments ban. It has a magazine ban. It has a ban on so-called ghost guns that's gonna go into effect later this year. Um, so all of those laws can be challenged. But if this California bill becomes law, how easy would it be to challenge this specific provision allowing citizens to, to litigate, to bring suit on these issues? It would be a little harder. It's not that you couldn't bring the challenge. It would just be harder to win the challenge because it is not that unusual to sort of recruit citizens to help you enforce other laws, not to be the exclusive enforcement mechanism, perhaps, but at least to be a supplemental enforcement. So you think of certain environmental laws, you think of uh, the so-called key TAM laws. If a citizen discovers fraud against the government, they're allowed to bring something called a key TAM suit. Uh, and the government can always step in and take over the suits. But if the government doesn't and the citizen wins and gets the government a bunch of money, they get sort of a bounty. They get a share. It's almost like they get a contingent fee. Uh, so and there are lots of other they call them private attorney general laws where you've sort of recruited the public to help you enforce an existing law because you think you don't have the time or attention to get to it all. Uh, and those things, I think, do raise separation of powers problems, due process problems. But they wouldn't, in this case, raise a Second Amendment problem, or in the Texas case, if it was a lighter law, raise a, 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 an abortion-related rights problem. Uh, they just raise procedural problems and big structural problems that historically haven't gone as gone very well when you try to challenge them. Yeah. And listen, I know that uh, it's hard to predict when the courts are going to act and what the courts are going to do, but um, with the Supreme Court, uh, you know, not immediately striking down this uh, Texas law, keeping it in place uh, while it's being reviewed, do you think it's likely that we're going to see other states 
sort of adopt that model for other purposes, whether it's gun control or, or, or other issues? I mean, is this going to be yes. something that both the left and the right continues to pursue until the courts step in and say, time out, can't do this? Yes, I, I think you will see other states playing around with this model, whether they go sort of all in the way Texas did or whether they take some of the procedural aspects of it and bring that to bear. I think you've seen Florida suggest that they're going to do this against school districts that teach critical race theory or what's supposedly critical race theory, depending on who, who sues, I guess. Uh, I think you see Illinois suggesting they're going to do this with guns. So I, I do think you will see both on the right and on the left more efforts to sort of recruit citizens to be your your you know thugs with baseball bats who go out and beat up on people you don't like. Um, and I'm not a fan of that model at all, obviously. Uh, regardless of whether I agree with the underlying position, I'm not a fan of getting your fellow citizens to turn on each other, uh, you know, because you don't happen to like the disagreement on a public policy question. Um, well, and I don't think the Supreme Court is going to get to this for a good long while, um, because if they really go the Texas route, the full-blown Texas route, it will take a very long time for that path to make its way up to the Supreme Court. It has to go through the state courts. It has to go through state appeals. It has to go through state Supreme Courts. And then maybe the Supreme Court gets a shot at it. And, you know, they don't take all the cases that people ask them to take, obviously. They get, you know, 10,000 cases a year, give or take. Uh, and they take maybe 50 or 80 these days, very few. Um, so the odds of even if you made it all the way through the process and somebody didn't sort of say, I give up so that there won't be a decision, uh, you know, you're not necessarily going to hear from the Supreme Court on this, which is troubling, admittedly, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what the state courts say. I think that's the more interesting question, because some state judges may say, well, I, I know you told me to behave like a, a so-and-so and, and to destroy this person's rights, but I'm not going to do it because that would violate the federal constitution. I don't need the Supreme Court telling me that. I can federal constitution myself and understand that this is a due process violation. And I'm hopeful that some state court judges step up like that. We will see. And again, I mean, I, you know, what I think is interesting here is that it, it really doesn't matter where you stand on the issue of abortion or on the issue of gun control, What we're because we're not ultimately talking about those issues. We're talking about the the legal mechanism that is used uh, to, uh, to to go after these rights, whether it is, you know, the, the right to an abortion, whether it is the right to keep and bear arms um, and this sort of novel legal theory as you say, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on. I mean, look, I'm strongly supportive of the Second Amendment. Um, I am a pro-life individual, but I am also a believer in the rule of law. Uh, and I am I'm not a fan of authoritarianism. And to me, this really does seem like a, a case of the state saying, all right, so we might not have the power to step in here. So instead, we're going to empower private citizens to sort of do our dirty work for us. Uh, and, and that, again, I'm not an attorney, but just from my layman's perspective, that it, I don't know if the right word is, if I'm using the right word, but it almost seems to be cheating the legal system, the legal process and the rule of law. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you that I think the federal courts have a very significant role to play in enforcing the constitution. I think they should have a significant role to play. It's not to say that state courts likewise can't enforce the constitution, but this seems to be saying, I'm going to empower my citizens to be, I think of it as thuggery, right? It's go out and take advantage of, of defendants by suing them and imposing costs on them when there's no risk to the person doing the suing, basically. Uh, and then let's see if the state courts will, will step in and stop us because 
the state thinks it has more control over its courts than it does over federal courts. And I, I agree with you that that's a cheat, uh, or at least a dodge, really. I don't know if it's a cheat, because these debates go back hundreds of years. This is not really a new debate, ultimately. This is an old debate from pre-Civil War times and post-Civil War times, uh, as well as you know Marbury versus Madison, the first great Supreme Court case about the power of the Supreme Court. So, you know, these are not new debates, but they're important debates. Absolutely. Well, Eric, listen, I hope that uh, we can have you back on the program to talk about uh, these debates as they continue in the court system. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, sir. I really appreciate your time and your insight. You're very welcome and happy to join you anytime you like. Appreciate Eric joining us on the program. We are going to continue to follow uh, both the California legislation and the argument over the uh, Texas law as it applies to your right to keep and bear arms here in the weeks and months ahead. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Why don't we start there? Why don't we start there? You know, a lot of folks talking about what's going on in uh, uh, New York. You got this new DA here. He says, oh, you know, we're, we're not we're, not, we're going to do everything we can to keep people from going to prison. Right. It's not just New York, unfortunately. I mean, look, we get maybe maybe it's a little bit different in New York because you've got a DA who is so outspoken about what he wants to do. But we are seeing cases around the country, even in red states, where violent criminals are getting a slap on the wrist and avoiding prison time for their crimes. This is Brownville, Nebraska, where uh, two brothers who were shot after invading a home have been sentenced to probation and jail time. No, it was not a fracas, as the uh, Lincoln, uh, Nebraska newspaper reported. This was uh, uh, more serious than that. 23-year-old Levi Bridgewater, 29-year-old Colton Bridgewater, pleading guilty to three charges, including trespassing and assault for what happened back on May 10th of 2019. Um, Their dad, by the way, was sentenced to a year in jail last year for this uh, same crime. Um... All of these charges started out as felonies. They've all been dropped down in plea bargains. According to the Nebraska State Patrol, uh, the brothers and their dad showed up at this guy Raymond Brown's house on May 10th of 2019. They forced their way inside the home. They began assaulting Raymond Brown in his home. Raymond Brown then grabbed a firearm, shot the brothers in self-defense, according to the prosecutors. Investigators say that Levi Bridgewater was armed with a knife. Their dad had a gun. There was an off-duty Nebraska Department of Corrections officer who was uh, not involved, but he just happened to be nearby. He responded to the scene. He assisted in de-escalating the situation. So again, you've got two guys and their dad who break into somebody's home and assault the resident inside. Now, look, I don't care if there was a beef going on. I don't, I don't care about these other circumstances surrounding it. You break into somebody's home, you start assaulting them. That's home invasion, right? That's assault. Not trespassing, not criminal mischief, not not misdemeanor assault, which is what these uh, individuals uh, ultimately pleaded guilty to. And again, Levi Bridgewater, his brother Colton Bridgewater, two years probation, 45 days in jail, that's it, six additional 15-day sentences beginning December 25th each year until 2027 until waived by the court. So there'll be a couple of weeks of jail, supposedly, right, along with a 45-day jail sentence and then two years probation. Yeah, I'm not seeing it. And I'm also uh, not convinced that the Bridgewater brothers are actually going to be doing any jail time, much less serious prison time. 
for the home invasion and the assault of a homeowner there in Nebraska. Uh, Meanwhile, today's armed citizen story, a sad story. So this was York, Pennsylvania. The owner of a uh, family restaurant forced to defend himself against an armed robber, shot and killed the armed robber. Uh, And now the family has decided that they are shutting down the restaurant. Uh, According to a release from the York County Coroner's Office, a 34-year-old named Ricky Fox Jr. was uh, shot to death inside the Asian Best Chinese and Thai Cuisine in York, Pennsylvania, while he was attempting to rob the restaurant at gunpoint. The restaurant announced on its Facebook page yesterday that they have decided not to reopen the store. They said, quote, we'd like to take this moment to express gratitude to all of our loyal customers throughout the years. We've served generations since 2009. Not only did we serve different generations, we've also had three different generations work to prepare the best quality food for everyone. We are truly a family business and very proud of it. Throughout the years, they say customers have morphed into friends, some very close. We've had the pleasure of seeing your children grow up and have children of their own. Friendly handshakes turned into hugs when customers slash friends stopped to grab some food. Unfortunately, they say, due to the recent traumatic event on the 4th of January, we've decided not to reopen Asian Best for Business. The decision was made with a heavy heart and many tears, but is the right decision for our family. They say thank you to everyone that has supported our family throughout the years. We wish you nothing but happiness and good health for the future. I have to say, acting in self-defense is a traumatic event. It is. When you are forced to defend your life, that is going to have an impact on you. And I, I, I don't know if this family is going to reconsider. I hope that the friends and the families and the customers that they have come to know and love over the years are encouraging them to maybe take some time and reopen. I can understand the safety concerns. Again, if you've been the victim of an armed robbery once, who's to say you're not going to be the victim of an armed robbery again? I get it. I get those concerns. But I hate to see a family-run business shut down because of the concerns over being the victim of a violent crime. At that point, you're letting the bad guys win. And it sounds to me like this restaurant and the family that owns it have had such a connection with their customers that um, I I bet the customers would be happy to help however they could, even if that was standing guard, perhaps, or helping to install some, uh, uh, you know, uh, security measures that aren't currently in place in the restaurant. I just, I, I feel bad for this family, again, particularly because, you know, this restaurant owner saved his life, protected his life, protected his family, but may end up losing their livelihood uh, because of the concern that they might have to defend their life again. So keep that family in your thoughts and prayers. And like I say, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that with a little time and distance that uh, uh, they decide that they're going to actually keep the restaurant open. Finally today, our good deed of the day from California, where a Marine Corps recruiter was in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing to save a man's life in a car accident. This was uh, mid-December, December December 10th of last year. Staff Sergeant Joseph Maldonado uh, was driving down Interstate 5 near San Juan Capistrano. He's heading to work when he ran across an accident. There's a three-car pileup. And Maldonado, he had his window down, and he could hear somebody yelling for help. 
who was in one of the vehicles. It was a red Mercedes that had been tipped over onto its side. There were two other folks who had already pulled over to the side of the road, other good Samaritans who were assisting an older woman who was injured in the accident. Maldonado then gets out. He goes to help the guy in the Mercedes. And he said, when I pulled over in front of the guy's car, I saw it'd be difficult to get him out because the vehicle was on its side. I knew the windshield couldn't be broken while he's still there dangling in the driver's seat. So Maldonado did the only thing that he could think to do. He uh, grabbed a knife, uh, crawled into the vehicle, cut the uh, individual out of the seat belt. And then when he's doing this, he realized that the driver is actually having a seizure. So he knew that he needed to get that passenger out of the car, the driver out of the car quickly. He uh, was able to break the man free from the seatbelt, pull him towards the back of the vehicle, uh, broke then the front windshield then um, until it was broken. He then uh, asked the other good Samaritans to help lift the gentleman out of the car. He realized I'm not going to be able to get out through the, uh, the windshield anyway. So they had to lift him out through the driver's side door. Uh, one man held the door open. The other assisted Maldonado in lifting the man up through that uh, open door now on its side. Uh, Maldonado said, even with a man in the state, I, I tried to tell him what we plan to do. I told him, hey, I'm going to use my body to get you out of here. Um, well, they did that. They got him out. They extricated him. Maldonado went back. Uh, he went back to get the guy's personal belongings. He saw some insulin in a bag, and he realized, okay, this guy's having a diabetic seizure. So when the officers arrived, he was able to tell the officers they were able to uh, uh, give the man his medicine, and he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. Joseph Maldonado says, I did what I did because it's what we do as Marines. He said, I saw the accident. I heard the man yelling. I knew I could be of help. I saw where I could help. And I simply did something about it. Well, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Staff Sergeant Joseph Maldonado, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program today. As always, don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. We're seeing progress on uh, constitutional carry in the state of Indiana. We are also seeing uh, some major moves in the Live Free or Die state of New Hampshire. So I got to tell you, 2022 is getting off to a pretty good start uh, in terms of the fight to strengthen and secure our right to keep and bear arms. Obviously, we've got some challenges coming down the road as well. And we'll be here to cover them all for you. Uh, if you like what you see at BarryAndArms.com, don't forget to become a VIP subscriber. It's always an option for you. you just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant discount on your VIP membership. Not only will that give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else, but it also allows you to show your support for the independent pro 2 way journalism that we do at BarryAndArms.com. And we really do thank you for your support. Hope you have a great Thursday. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with more Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.